It's Baby Crazy, the podcast for parents over 40. I'm Lee Schneider. In this episode, I'm chatting with my good friend, Rob Jacobs. He's going to tell you about Unsit, his company designed to get you up and moving at work. And we're going to talk about being parents who have been at this parenting thing for a few decades. Rob Jacobs is the chief unsitter at unsit.com, a future-thinking company that has developed treadmills that go under your desk and sells the standing desks that go with them. I know because I bought one of those, and it's great. It really changed my work life. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lee. So you and Anne, your wife, had your kids when you were in your 40s, right? That's right. Did you find that being a father for the first time in your 40s, was that appreciably different, do you think, than, say, a kid in his 20s? I can't compare it because I never did it in my 20s, but there's definitely differences. There's pros and cons. I wouldn't have been a very good father, frankly, in my 20s, bouncing around the world, not too responsible, but I think I'm a a better father at this age than I would have been in, in my 20s. Well, when we were working on Unsit together, I would routinely get calls from you at night Like late and emails would show up, you know, like I thought you were kind of one of these 24-7 kind of guys, but you're really not, right? No. And what what that would be, Lee, is after the kids had gone to bed and I'd put them to bed and there was still some maybe some late night, some reading to bed, oftentimes I would nod off and fall asleep and then get back up and have a bit of a second win. And that was the time when the house was finally quiet everybody's gone to sleep. I could catch up on my inbox and clear that out. And that's what those emails would be from. But I'd already had sort of an early evening nap and then I would continue on. to So without the kids, that work might've happened at six or seven o'clock, but now it just got pushed up till 11 o'clock after dinner and bedtime activities. Yeah. This 24 seven life that we all are getting sucked into sometimes successfully and often against our will, it's very different from When I was younger and a writer, I would routinely write till 2 or 3 in the morning. I didn't have kids. Then once I had kids, suddenly I'm getting up early. And it's a bit of a switch for me. When I was younger, and my first, I've had two rounds of kids, and my first round of kids in my 20s and 30s, it wasn't such a big deal to lose sleep, or it wasn't such a big deal to time shift the day. Now, I find I'm not that tolerant of it, and I have a 6-year-old. Right. I've come up with this concept, I don't know if it's a good one, but that my kid, especially the young one, has to meet me where I am. He has to recognize that I'm not a 20-year-old kid. Have you had anything like that, or are you just proceeding? Yeah, I don't think my kids know much different. I'm sort of just proceeding, but the tips or notes I'd give your listeners on the sleep thing is it's so precious for the parent. It's life or death for the kids. I mean, you know, getting a good sleep pattern established for your children is crucial for their brain development, especially in the infant years, the toddler years. And if you can get that down, that helps your own cycle. But it's very important, you know, when you were younger in your 20s, you could shift the day. So stay up late, sleep late. But when you've got kids, you're up at sunrise. And that's just that. They're going to be up unless you got a mom taking care of it. And you can go shut the door on your bedroom door. You're going to be up too. But it's also the best time when your kids are fresh and early in the morning. It's really the best interaction action time I found. So I think very important to adjust your lifestyle. So you just got to go to sleep early and get that solid night's sleep. Otherwise you're going to be a zombie and your kids aren't going to like you. You're going to be, and and I look, I I hate that. I hate going to bed early. I mean, I just, I still fight it still, but I have no choice. Yep. I'm the same way. But in my experience, when I'm short on sleep, you know, I'm a grouch with the kids. And when you're well rested, it's a much better interaction between them. So it's just something either either with naps, but you just got to push it. I, I know the feeling. You don't want to, you know, midnight, I'm just getting going and I could go till two o'clock. Right. But I know that that kid's going to be up at 536. And again, those are really precious hours together. Yeah. A lot of times the only hours that you're going to get together. Right. 
Yeah, it's this whole thing, too, of being a better parent. What makes me, what makes you a better parent? And trying to get that across to the kids. Right. I've sometimes said to my six-year-old, I got to get enough sleep. You got to let me sleep. You know, you can't keep coming out of your room over and over because I got to get some sleep. Right. Because I can't be as good a daddy. I don't know if he gets it, but... I've tried to kind of include him in this, let's help dad be a better dad. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. But unfortunately, I don't think at those early ages they can understand <laughs> they don't that. Care. You know, they, they don't have the intellectual <laughs> computing power to get that. So right. I think you got to just set your- Set physical, your sails and, and just and, Well, set it. your physical boundaries. Hey, when that door is closed, it's closed right. and dad's not right. available. And uh, the one thing I learned in parenting is, and a lot of people challenge me on this, but- you're not their playmate. And I try to be, and it's fun to be, especially when they're toddlers, you're rolling around on the floor and it's fun. And then they think of you as your playmate, but you're not, you're Mm -hmm. the parent. So that's not to say you don't interact and do activities together. You do, but you're not their contemporary, whether you're 20 or 40, I don't think that makes any difference. You got to set the boundary of you're the boundary setter. There might be interaction. You might throw the ball together, but you're not their playmate in their age group. And it's very important for them to see that in you so that you can lay down the law when it needs to be laid down. Yeah. And he doesn't believe that, by <laughs> the way. You know, I mean, he, he's an only child. My older children, they played with each other. You know, right. they were four years apart, but they had a relationship, you know, kind of a older sister mommy to younger brother kids right. relationship. This guy, he turns my wife into his playmate. He wants me to be a playmate. So it's a constant thing. Right. Yeah. Well, you got to make some more kids then, Lee, because... Oh, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> My two are like yours. I got the older girl, younger boy, four years apart, a lot of interaction when they were growing up. And also, look, we're sort of free-range parents. You know, we let them roam and have their space, and we're not helicoptering over them, watching every move they make and keeping bad guys away. And a lot of people criticize us for that. They think we're irresponsible, but we've set the boundaries. We know where they are. They're not running around in the street, but they're free to go and, and play in the park, and they're free to play in the yard. And as a result, they're self-motivated, and they're, yeah. and they're self-starters, and they can be interested. I remember when they were young and just digging up dirt in the backyard, and I don't care if they ate a little. <laughs> well. Let's talk about that, the there's nothing to do factor. You know, we were talking about this earlier, that when we were kids, you know, we played in the neighborhood. We rode bikes around, and we often had nothing to do. People didn't schedule us. People weren't there telling us what to do. But now it's a different world. You wouldn't really cut a kid loose out into even the nicest neighborhood without at least strapping a GPS and ankle bracelet on that kid or something. (laughs) But nothing to do is a really important state for a kid. It's just it's really hard to create that state now because there's so much simulation all the time. Right. No, it's it's a challenge, and I believe in that. I think nothing to do is really important. It's an incredibly valuable developmental experience to have. I was telling you before we went live that I just watched uh, River Runs Through, it, the Robert Redford movie, yeah. and there was a lot of the upbringing those kids had was nothing to do, just fishing around the river, looking for bait in the weeds. And that experience is is immensely powerful. If they could Instagram it, it would be okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, look, and my strategy there was, and, and my, I had my wife on board for most of those early years, is we had a house that was pretty much technology-free while they were toddlers, mm. early childhood. At some point, the mother-in-law showed up and had to have her soap operas, and the TV appeared. And once that got going, they were pretty drawn in. But there was a lot of 
time in life. I mean, they they didn't have iPods or iPads. They didn't have iPhones. They were roaming around the backyard and they went to schools. They went to that Reggio Emilia school where that was very much the case. So I think that's critically important that, you know, look, boredom's a state of mind that you bring on. It's not a thing that happens to you. It's a thing that you do with your mind. And so I've seen, you know, little infants or toddlers crawling around and they pick up a butt of dust off the floor and flick it into the air and watch it float down. And that can be five, 10 minutes. That can be a toy. Yeah. yeah. Well, our, but it's also a learning experience because play right. is learning. That's how they learn is through that kind of yeah, that play that's not controlled that let them explore and make things and fall down and make mistakes. And it's okay to bump their head. You know? It's hard, though, as a parent, I find, to step back, to let them learn, not do it for them. Right. And even let them make mistakes. Uh, right now, our kid is in first grade. He's going through a lot of socialization stuff at school. We can't be there all the time. There's going to be some nice kid. There's going to be some mean kid. There's right. going to be some altercation. The other day in the park, I was in that embarrassing parent situation where it was him and a little girl fighting over a sand bucket. And the mother and me at the same time were going, drop the bucket, drop the bucket. I mean, we'd gotten into this fugue state of like yelling at these right. kids to drop the bucket. But they should have figured that, you know, we should have let them figured that out if right. it could have. Right. The other mother was inspiring me to become the police. But this is a hard thing, right? To step back. No, it is hard, especially in this culture that we're in now where the parents want to intervene so much. So if you're the dad in the park who steps back, you know, you might she might call the police on you for the dads you're responsible. Or but, the other dads jumping in or right. the other moms jumping in and, right. and trying to mess with your kid. Right. No, but I love the phrase that you use. And I, I remember that. Let them learn. Give them the opportunity to learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. My favorite one I used to always raise my eyebrows out in the park was when the parents would yell, share. You learn to share. <laughs> well, yeah, sharing is right. not something you learn. It's, it's a value that becomes part yeah, of you. Yeah. You know, just because you handed them your toy for a minute doesn't mean you learn to share. You know? Right. So, so right. Uh, yeah, I'm all for letting them have the space, letting them make the mistakes. Yeah, let them fall and bump their head and feel a little pain. That's not, you know, obviously as long as they're safe, you want to have a safe environment. But, yeah, letting them learn, letting them inter interact and, and figure it yeah. out. Is, and then, by the way, that takes a lot of stress off being a parent. Now you can just sit back and observe. If you set a safe environment with boundaries, you can step back and just be in the galley and watching. Yeah. Let's talk about the... 40s parent. Parents come with wisdom, also known as baggage. There's a lot of, I think I got this. I know this. I know what I'm doing. In my case, I've, this is not my first rodeo, blah, blah, blah. But actually, that can be bad. Because if you think you got it all, and then that the kid turns out to be different than your assumptions, it's really up to the parent, I find in my case, to reformat, to say, well, wait a minute, you know, this kid is not who I thought or my reactions, whether I get mad or I'm impatient or whether I'm trying to control too much, my reactions have to change. And that was a hard learning curve for me. Right. Have you found that? Yep, my too. My daughter was the perfect angel and I thought the second one would be just like her. And he came along and they got the same genetics, raised by the same parents, the same environment, and they're like different species mm -hmm. and totally different experiences. Both great kids, but very different experiences. So, yeah, I, I'm always reminded of the John Wooden quote, and I'm a basketball guy, so i got to yeah. throw in a few sports analogies. But <laughs> John Wooden used to tell his players, it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. And so, yeah, you're always That's learning good. in this That's period. Good. And it really applies to parenting. Just he had a few good teams. Yeah. <laughs> he must have good advice. About a dozen of them. Yeah. No, so I think that applies in parenting is, look, each kid is unique and you don't know how they're going to be and you don't know what you're going to get when they're born, but they're kind of going to be who they are. And there's obviously the environment has a little bit of 
influence on it. But my daughter's all books, all academics, all school, all learning. My boy's all sports, you know, and all outdoors. And I don't know how that happened. Nobody does. Yeah. But so you're dealing with totally different issues. You got to let them be who they are. Right. And, and yeah, so many ways. and you've got to adapt your parenting things. But there's certain rules that still apply. Is you're there to give it structure and to give it boundaries. And the toughest thing for me in being a parent was the ability to say no. Whether you're a 20 year old parent or 40 or 60, you've got to be able to say no and really firm and let them know where that boundary is. Otherwise, they're just testing it and pushing to see how far they can go. But it's the compassionate no, because I know that my dad in the era of that father, no was pretty easy. No was a pretty easy word for my dad to say and dads of his era. They could be kind of tough, you know, and there's a sort of a discomfort in my generation and even younger of being that kind of John Wayne, forget about a kid. You know, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's weird for my even my age group and dads that are younger. So I agree, boundaries, no, but to find a way that's compassionate and feels, fits your, the zeitgeist, you know, fits the way things are now is sometimes a challenge. You can't just be the tough guy. It doesn't really work anymore. Right. You can't, but like you say, you've got to do it without emotion. But I remember other parents of my kids' friends, those early years, mine are teenagers and in college now, but I remember some of the younger parents who were 15 or 20 years younger than me, mm-hmm. and they'd be asking their toddler, you know, what they want to do today after school. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. it's a toddler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't ask them. You, you tell them what you're going to do today. <laughs> you don't ask them what they want for dinner. Here's dinner. You know? Exactly. They seem like 40-year-olds. Right walking around in a diaper because sometimes they have so many words right and they have so much going on but they can't really make those decisions it's really up to us to make some of those decisions at least that's right it's when you get to the toddler preschool age you know early elementary we way overestimate what they're capable of especially right. mentally in infancy it's the other way around we underestimate what they're capable yeah. of but i see them they get to the toddler preschool age and the parents they give them way too much credit for what their abilities are so no you you set what the day is going to be and what the meals are going to be and and then we Within that, they're free to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we have to be comfortable with that. Right. So, let's compare 20s, 40s. There's this wisdom versus energy trade off in a way. In your 20s, you're pretty much willing to go for it. In your 40s and beyond, you're a bit more circumspect, more reflective. Is there a better to that, or is it just? different stages of life. It's like you say, a trade-off, different stages. There certainly were times when I wished I was 20 years younger, so I had more energy to keep up, especially on the sleep front and so forth. Also, when my kid got to the early preteen age, when he's starting to play sports at a pretty advanced level, and I realized he can outrun me, can outthrow me, you know, there starts to get to a point where you can't keep up. You know, now my kid can run circles around me on on the basketball court. I never thought that would happen. But all of a sudden, one day, he's beating me, and I'm trying as hard as I can. Yeah, I wished I was 20 years younger then. But no, I'll take the wisdom any day. Mm. From my personal perspective, is that I think I've been able to give them a lot more as a parent, just having the wisdom to kind of look out further into the future, make smarter decisions especially about school right. um, and choices that they might make there. If I had to take it down to one thing, I would say reflexive moments. Because in my early days, I was a pretty reactive guy, you know, pretty hot-tempered kind of going on. And I'm still a pretty hot-tempered, reactive guy, but I'm recognizing it. And if a kid does something or I need to react, I'm a bit better now at being a reflexive person, a bit more of a Buddhist about it, a bit more of a let's wait a minute before we just jump on this thing. And I think that's age. I think that's a positive part of age. Yeah, it is a trade-off, and I'll take the wisdom. 
What about, you know, some of the other positives of being an older parent, spending more time with your kids, certainly. But for me, the main thing has been an awareness of how valuable this time is. When I was 20s and 30s, I was just storming through, which as 20s and 30-year-olds should be doing. I was just doing everything all the time. Now I have a sense of that moment's not going to come around again. You're not going to see that kid walk for the first time again. You're not going to see that kid put together a string of words into an actual sentence the first time again. There's a lot of things that I have an appreciation of that, wow, that's not coming around again, or we get to hit this stage. It's kind of cool. Yeah, no, they're really precious moments, and I, you know, it gives me chills when you, when you, because I think about those. I was there for most of those mm-hmm. great moments for my kids, and uh, had I been younger and more immersed in work, I might have missed a lot of that. You know, I, my wife and I have had the good fortune of we own our own businesses, we were able to set our own schedules. So, and being an older parent, our finances were more secure. Yeah. Was able to spend more time for those precious moments. The old adage, and I think it's so true, especially when they're young, is the days are long, but the years are incredibly short. You know, it's over before right. you know it. Those precious moments, infancy into toddlerhood, and those those early years are they're so priceless, and you don't want to miss them. I know for my dad, he was working all the time trying to support the family. He, you know, there were most of the nights he didn't make it home. I was already asleep before yeah. by the time he got home, and he was out of the, he was the first one out of the house. And in those days, he didn't bring work home. You know, with technology today. You know, your laptop you do is your all. office. So yeah. you, when you got home, you were just home. So there was yeah. the quality of time. When I think of all, I look at my wife, she's more guilty of it than I am. She flips open the laptop and she's gone. She's down that rabbit hole. And there are the kids having, like you say, these incredible developmental experiences that you want to be there for. And you missed it because your focus was elsewhere. You know, I think that having kids as an older, later stage of life, you know, I'm much more appreciative of those priceless moments that you describe. Yeah. And in defense of time shifting, which has its it's easy to abuse. Example, yesterday I had to leave work early. I had about an hour, an hour and a half left. I came home early, I made dinner, and then I went back to work. But I try to limit it to that hour, hour and a half that I was getting back, so to speak. Right. It's not great. It doesn't work terrifically, but it's better than blowing off dinner. You know, I'm supposed to be the guy who makes dinner, so I had to come home. The one thing I learned, I think, is a tip I could give to your listeners is that whatever your program or your routine is, make it consistent because kids, they need predictability. If you're the guy making dinner and then you leave and go back to work and that's the routine, fine, but be consistent about it. So their world is predictable. Very important, I think, for for early childhood development. And then the other note is when you are home, be 100% home. Shut the Uh, laptop, turn the phone off, be there when they're there. Don't be on your phone and doing social media, whatever it is you might be doing. If you're going to be physically in the room with them, be mentally in the room with them too. Be 100% there. Shut the phone off. Shut the laptop off. And when you're going to go back to those activities, leave the room. Close the door because they don't understand where your mental attention is. You know, exactly. the, the parent's right in front of me, but his mental attention has gone down some contraption in the palm of his hand. I think that's really negative for kids and confuses them. Yeah, that's really valuable. I'm too often guilty of disappearing you know, just a minute, I just got to do one email, just one thing. Right. One, but they, they're not on that wavelength at all. That's very good advice. So let's change the subject to unsit. And I'm working at a standing desk now for a year plus at this point. And it's changed my work life. It's changed my attitude about work. I'm much more positive about work. Why should we keep moving at work? 
Oh, it's hugely important. I think it I think it ties directly into our topic here of parenting because so much of parenting is a time management issue. You know, how can you get enough time to be with your kids and your work? And the unsit thing to me is about getting two things done at once. You know, if you're sitting all day, then we used to go to the gym and spend an hour in the gym, but now you can accomplish two tasks simultaneously. So that's a lot about what unsit was about is being able to integrate physical activity with your work day. It changed my life as well. I thought it, I poo-pooed it when I first heard about it. Then I started trying it out. The idea of walking at a treadmill while you're doing desk work because you can't really get a physical workout like we think of in the gym. You're not getting your heart rate up. It's not something that's going to increase your cardiovascular capacity, but it gets you up out of the chair. And I know a little bit uh, hypocritical to talk about this while we're sitting in a studio here. (laughs) We are sitting at the moment, sorry. But I like to convert it to sitting is the rare break. And then, you know, most of the time you're up moving. So when I'm working, I'm on my feet. And I'm either standing like the standing desk like you're doing or treadmill desk or combination. But when I'm doing work and mental activity, no, I'm on my feet and working. Then I take a break to sit. So sitting has become 20, 30 minutes here and there. I sit to have a meal, sit to have a coffee break. But when I'm getting up to do work, if I'm on a conference call, if I'm writing something, no, I'm on my feet and I'm moving. And you're mentally much more agile. And I just think I'm smarter, more creative, more productive. Yeah, I can second that, the ideation I noticed before pre-standing desk that I would get the best ideas in the shower. I'd go for a walk and I'd be filled with ideas and I'd be using the voice recorder or scribbling things down. I always carried notebooks and pencils. I realized there's a correlation there that my best stuff was happening when I was up and moving. The science is there to show why. I mean, there, there really is a cause and effect. Your brain is directly connected all the way down to your feet, and ideas come about when you're up on your feet and moving. If you think of early humans roaming around the plains of Africa, they're looking around to make sure nobody's going to eat them, and then they're looking <laughs> right. around going, what else is out there for me to eat? So I'm, I'm avoiding threats, and I'm seeking opportunities. And isn't that the same as business today? Avoiding threats and seeking out opportunities and solving problems. And for early humans, problems were solved walking around on your feet. So it's no coincidence that people come up with great ideas while they're walking around. Steve Jobs was famous for taking engineers out on walks while they were trying to solve some sort of a design challenge. They'd walk around the garden and come up with ideas. So one of the quotes we have on our website at Unsit, and I have it on the back of our business card, is from the philosopher Frederick Nietzsche. All truly great ideas are conceived while walking. And it's really true. So now there's certain other kinds of work that is more introspective and studious that sometimes it is better to sit. And I don't want to give people the impression that you should never sit because there are certain activities, certain kinds of number crunching. But no, ideation, creative idea, brainstorming, much better done on your feet. And interestingly enough, at Unset, what we found over the last years is over half our customers are lawyers, attorneys Uh at work. And it turns out a lot of their day is spent negotiating on the phone. They're on conference calls. They're in settlement conferences. And they'd much rather be up and moving and walking while having those kinds of conversations. We need happier lawyers. Right. And they're also writing their legal briefs. They dictate. So they're talking into a microphone mm. dictating while they're walking. So no, the, the treadmill desk, standing desk, that, you know, that way of working on your feet, oh, huge impact. And I think it's benefited my parenting skills as well. Because when you've been sitting in the office for eight hours, you're so grouchy and grumpy. You just want to get out and move and go for a run. And the last thing you want to do is deal with dirty diapers. But when I'm done with the, an office day, I've already had five, six miles of walking in. So I'm feeling good. You know, I'm not reaching for that energy drink at four in the afternoon to try to keep it going. Right. It's, and sitting down to rest is a great concept. The idea of it's time to take a break. Let's sit down. Right. I've just walked two miles. I've written a whole paper. And now let's sit down and take a break. So sitting is the break. And then walking and moving is the activity during the day. Yeah. I've really adopted that. I remember when you told me that, I thought, this is nuts. But I've adopted that technique now, and it really works. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Really enjoyed it, Lee. 
You can find Rob's project, Unsit, at unsit.com. Look for show notes about this episode at goingbabycrazy.live. I will also post some key takeaways right there online, so check out goingbabycrazy.live, L-I-V-E. A lot of people get the show on iTunes, and if that's you, don't forget to rate us and post a comment. When you do, it helps us reach more listeners, so check us out on iTunes, give us a couple stars, share the love. And by the way, I'd like to hear from you directly. The listener feedback line is 424-254-1634. Just dial that up and leave your comments about the show. That number again, 424-254-1634. We'll see you next time. I'm Lee Schneider. Hey, it's Lee Schneider, a co-founder of the FutureX Podcast Network. Have you heard of Good Pods yet? It's a new app where you can follow your friends and influencers to see what podcasts they're listening to. So for all of you who spend too much time scrolling around, trying to figure out where is that great new show, this will solve your problems. Just download Good Pods from the App Store, pick some people to follow, and invite your friends. And you'll never be without a podcast recommendation again.